You don't come into the classroom with an answer and your teacher is probably not giving you that answer. They're leading you on the process of making solutions. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode of Learning Unbox. Uh, today we're going to talk about the intersection of fine arts and math and science. And I am super excited actually to be able to have this conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Tim Mitchell, who oversees, runs, manages, is probably chief cook and bottle washer, I suspect, at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, uh, which is a 712 public magnet specialty school in Alabama. And welcome, Tim. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So I want to uh, sort of start with uh, recognizing that uh, we have a pretty um, international audience of listeners. And so let's start with the big, giant, overarching context first and foremost. So what exactly is the Alabama School of Fine Arts? Where is it and sort of why does it exist? Exactly. So within our system, we have public school district. And within a district, you might have some different schools that are all managed by the State Board of Education. About 53 years ago, uh, a group of people realized that they wanted to form a specialty school that would focus specifically on fine arts training. And so they went to the state legislature and they asked to create a special school for that purpose. And the Alabama School of Fine Arts was born. And basically, it is a state agency. We're independent of the school districts, even though we're a public school. And we can serve all the students from across our state who want to study dance, theater, music, creative arts, and visual arts. And then not long after that, it was such a successful model of, of bringing together students who wanted to focus on their passions and wanted to focus on their strength. We had a local entrepreneur businessman who said, well, you should have a school for math and science that is like what they are doing at the fine arts school. And at the time, we said, absolutely, we think this is a synergy that can happen. And so all unusual for an art school in the country, we began a school of math and science. And right today, about a third of our students are in our math and science specialty, which has become our sixth specialty along with those other five. Wow, that, that is absolutely remarkable because, you know, this, this, these conversations come up in other places, obviously, but I think this is the first one I've ever seen where they said, hey, we can do that. We'll roll it in. It'll be part of us, not something completely separate. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, in time, there have been a couple of other schools like us that are uh, focused on math and science specifically. But the idea that we would try to understand and maybe even invent what that synergy would look like. Mm -hmm. so for example, when you come to us as a math and science uh, student, 
you go through an audition process rather than an application process. Perfect. And then you are working in your specialty. Here's how the Alabama School of Fine Arts sets up your day. In the morning, you're doing your advanced high school degree in Alabama, and you have a couple of hours where you're taking your history class, your English class, Mm -hmm. uh, your social studies class, uh, modern language, all of those things. And then have a nice lunch. And then in the (laughs) afternoon, for three to four hours, you focus on your specialty. And with six years to focus on your specialty at three to four hours a day, you become incredibly prepared and incredibly advanced. And you really get into sort of the creative collaborative side of each of those disciplines. And so you were really doing work in the high school by the time you hit nine through 12, that mm-hmm. is already at the college level, even in ninth grade, in many ways. Right. And our math and science students benefit from, from, from that because that focus education that, that, that we had in, you know, developed for being able to dance mm-hmm. uh, in a significant amount of time instead of, instead of an after-school program, being able to play music for a significant amount of time rather than just uh, as an extracurricular or in a band program. We really made it our curriculum. The specialties really are our curriculum. And so we have almost a pre-professional approach to it all. Right. So how that worked with math and science. At first, math and science, they were very different from the arts. And it was just about the schedule. But as time has gone by, we found those synergies. So the same effort that is going into a visual arts portfolio, a body of work, is being developed by math and science students in the sense that they end with a culminating research project that they do with a local university. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and it's been enormously successful for the math and science students to think of the competitions that they go out to, like the Science Bowl, as performances. And Mm -hmm. to think of um, the role of coaching and rehearsal in their lab work. So it's quite interesting. And right now, I'm happy to say, like the math and science, this is the third year in a row that they have won the honor of representing Alabama. They won the state poll in the national math and science poll. That's wonderful. That's and, really, that's, uh, that's fabulous. And we just had a few who won a NASA hackathon oh, uh, yeah. for COVID-19 solution. Yeah. So just as proud as we are, our art students have unbelievable success stories of their own. Uh, we're working right now with uh, Carlos Iscare, who is a director of and conductor of the Alabama Symphony mm-hmm. on an all-new uh, original composition that's taking place as a virtual ensemble. And so, so our, our, we kind of approach all those things the same way. And I tried to explain it when I first uh, was coming to what we call ASFA, Alabama School mm-hmm. of Arts, ASFA. But I tried to explain it as, it's like, the K-12 version of Carnegie Mellon, you know, they're known yeah, for, yeah. right? Like they're known uh-huh. for STEM, right? right? But they also have a pretty rocking humanities department. Yeah. And yeah. it's the intermingling of ideas and the cross uh, development of networks of people that mm-hmm. have led to really new whole fields of study that cross over between humanities and math and science at Carnegie Mellon. And I see the same thing happening here. Because in the morning, all those students from the different disciplines mix with each other. Mm -hmm. They're all very high potential students and in their own area, very dedicated and advanced. 
what they can do is see what each other, what they're working on, how they're working mm -hmm. on it, how they think. So in visual arts, when you get a studio habit of mind, how do you explain that to your math and science friend? Right. Well, and so, you know, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this, and I truly, truly love this because I engage with lots and lots of different folks about, you know, conversations very much like this. And, and oftentimes, as I'm sure you are very well aware, you know, you, you, you find these folks and they, they, especially when you start talking about math and science or STEM education generally, right? What happens, as I'm sure you've experienced, right, is these, there's these two camps that seem to set themselves up, right? I'm the STEM camp or I'm the STEAM camp. And 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 it's an intriguing thing. And I and I have been over many, many years now, lots of our listeners have heard me say this. I collect the acronyms, right? Because I have I'm I'm a, an anthropologist by training. And so I have found the 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 human need to find themselves in that moment to be really, really intriguing. And for better or worse, you know, when we put so much emphasis in this country and certainly funding in the United States um, around STEM education, that was really sort of the thing that changed that dynamic. It's not that we weren't doing a lot of those things before, but we put a label on it and we stuck some federal funds and we said, hey, to get access to this, you need to be this thing. Right. And immediately the backlash to that is, oh, my goodness, we're now leaving out the arts. We're leaving out, you know, take your pick, all these different things. And when the reality is that was never the intention, it was a way to show that these things are foundational. They could work differently. They could propel and accelerate each other because of the natural intersections that are across all of those sorts of things. And so I love the fact, first and foremost, that that's not the way you or the school have approached this at all, but literally have been able to say, no, these things can and should all be together. We're going to roll them together. We're going to use the same success metrics and opportunities across the populations to elevate and accelerate the students involved. So bravo, because that's awesome. Well, thanks very much. I have to say that I think in this STEAM versus STEM, I see the STEAM as a, you know, a very interesting conversation that's happening within a, a whole school curriculum where your students are studying every topic and you want to understand like how these things are going to integrate. I think coming from the point of view that we had with fine arts, that dance really needed their time to develop their discipline fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Music needs needs their time to do, you know they need to literally practice their instrument and then also practice being in an ensemble and then also learn the upper reaches of sound engineering and and of composition and arrangement and all of those things and so you could come up with a system in which you're saying oh I'm going to create a class that's it's it's about how the math of music or mm -hmm. it's about the visual arts of design or it's about but our approach is more to understand that those disciplines do need their time and they do have their traditions. But what we want to do is look at the habits of mind that our students can exchange. And so we figure everything that we've learned about creativity on the fine arts side, from our creative writing classes and their writers' workshops, that from the critique in visual arts, from the rehearsal in theater arts, all of those things can translate into math and science. And math and science then, you know, like looks at innovation and creativity mm -hmm. in a very forward-thinking way. Meanwhile, all the things that you look at in math and science, the scientific method and how you research something in depth, 
you know, and how you work in a team and how and how you may have something that is that is an experiment that does not work. All of their thinking can apply to these other areas. Imagine thinking of your creative writing draft as a lab experiment. Imagine thinking of your music composition uh, as um, a body of work rather than just one piece. So so it's not that we are creating a hybrid class, right? right? Which is, and I I totally, I I think we're spiritually aligned with STEAM, but Mm -hmm. we're practicing STEM and we're practicing fine arts and we're allowing the authentic connections and networking to be made. And that includes with the faculty because our faculty here on the fine arts side are all working artists and our our faculty on the math and science side are working researchers. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the faculty too (laughs) are coming Mm -hmm. to each other and saying, have you thought about this the way I think about it in my field? And I think that makes a huge difference. I think that it does. And I think that's so wonderfully well put. And I, I truly, truly appreciate the sort of thinking about the that sort of philosophical point of view. And so that's that's a really intriguing. So I want to dig in a little bit, you know, sort of the school from the student experience side just a little bit. And so I'm, I'm really curious, and I have no doubt actually that some of our listeners are thinking the same thing. So the, the students that come in and they, they get the opportunity to come in, you know, as, as seventh graders, so to your point, they get six years, you know, potential opportunity to really craft and find and hone their skills in whichever sort of pathway or component that, that they're in. But do the do students have the flexibility or even the desire? Let's say I enter in dance, but suddenly I'm an inspired and I want to I want to shift over to the science side or the math side. Do the students have the ability to move within the programming or is it I'm in this pathway and this is the pathway that you're in. How does that, how does that work from the student experience side? So this is one reason why we have seventh and eighth grade. instead of just <laughs> Exactly nine. for all of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah Figure it out before nine. high school. <laughs> right, exactly. If we had just nine through 12, uh, I think it would look different. Right. I think it would look different. And we do accept some ninth graders, of course, because we're still mm-hmm. open to that. Uh, sure. want to join in high school. But then they are typically in for the long game. And, and and I think, you know, seventh and eighth graders are sometimes they look around and they see other things. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have had some change. I'd say one of the great stories is about uh, a family uh, that will send a couple of students who, you know, and then the third sibling, you know, two will go into math and science and they think, oh, the third one is going to also join us in math and science because that's the family we are. And, mm-hmm. and then that person chooses visual art yeah. or chooses theater. So that's one way it happens. Another way is that a student just changes their mind. And so, yes, mm-hmm. they, can, uh, they, they can apply internally much more easily than externally. We already know their profile. We know their interests. We can talk with them about fit. So it's really easy to, I've, I've, I've heard of, uh, you know, cr- creative writing students who move mm-hmm. into theater. I've heard of, you know, a, a few right. examples. Of, well, I think probably the most natural connection really is music and math and science. Mm-hmm. Those two do have crossover more than the other areas. But it's not impossible to to uh, change, right? Right. And the school is located in Birmingham, correct? Right. And you also have a partially residential program, so that leads me to assume. And please correct me if I'm wrong. So, our students are coming from all over the state of Alabama to attend the school. 
Yes, they are. So we have the dorms specifically for that reason. About 18% of our students live in the dorm. And that's really so that we can serve the whole state Mm -hmm. rather than just the Birmingham area. Also within the Birmingham area, our families travel longer to get to the school, to commute to the school, even as day students, because they're often coming from further out than a typical school district. This is not a you know local right, school right. district. So we are technically a state agency, which is so interesting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and an independent district, like I right. mentioned before. Uh, but our mission is to try and reach, if we can, all of the state. Uh, I think over time, what we're doing now is transitioning from a time in which students from all over the state would come and apply to ASFA based on its reputation to the school beginning to reach out across the state and and try to help students develop that skill set that they need early, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard to show up and um, maybe not have already studied in your area of strength. But we we want to be talking to literally uh, kids in fourth and fifth and sixth grade before they might apply in seventh and eighth. And we do have some that apply in seventh and eighth. And we say, look, you're not ready. Here's the summer program you can take. Here's the, here are the things you can do on the side. Here, here's the type of testing you should try. Uh, you know, here's the practice you should do so that, so that they can come back again another year and apply again. And then, and then they often make the program. In fact, those are often the best prepared students. Sure, but, sure. But having the state mission, yes, it is a selective program where mm-hmm. um, more people audition than we have spots, you know, usually. But we go through an extraordinary effort to try and reach beyond the region and to, you know, sort of beyond just reaching out to the other counties, but really just helping with that process of being able to come here. And what does that look like over time? I and mean, scale is always one of those things. Obviously, you know, it happens, you know, in, in every state, lots of communities, really successful uh, programs. There, there, there's a, there's a, a very valid reason and rationale for wanting to take the best programs. At the end of the day, we are all collectively about ensuring the best success opportunities for students. Um, and, you know, also for our listeners, uh, students don't pay tuition. It's a public school. Right, so if they right. get to go there, that's a really important thing. I want to make sure that we're really upfront about that. This is not a school that, you know, is, is restricted just to those who are wealthy enough to be able to afford the opportunity. It's, it's, it's broadly open. Um, but how do you, because I would assume that for a program that is as successful as yours is, you know, there's a lot of, of requests, ask, need, wants, or aspiration to say, how can we, in fact, see the same success in other places. So, so what is what is the opportunity for scale or the opportunity, you know, you were touching on helping right. kids be prepared, but what is that pushback into more traditional school or into other communities? You know, that's a that question has some complicated answers. So I'm going to yes. try to break it down. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. I mean, the first thing to realize is that by being open to the state population, we have a greater amount of diversity. But mm-hmm. it also means that we have a lot more work to do on inclusion and equity and, and bringing together you know, all of these different identities, all of these different regions of the state, all of these different families and their, and their 
and just having them encounter each other. And to me, right. that's a little bit like going off to college, even though we're a day school with a, mm-hmm. we got the dorm, but, <laughs> but it's a little, it's a little bit like that because you are encountering people. Uh, and so that's one big thing. Uh, the second thing I would say is that I think when people look at going to a school like ASFA, of course, they want to come to the Alabama School of Fine Arts because our kids have done well in getting into college. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we have an 85 to 90% merit scholarship success rate. A typical school has 15%. Right. So, you pretty, know, that, pretty, that, pretty remarkable balance there, yes. right? So, yeah. So that, so there are, so, so that was about 8.8 million last year and typically can run up to 10 million a year that is awarded to our students. And that just shows the success that they have in being prepared mm-hmm. for college and university. And not only do they go to colleges and universities, they go to some of the top conservatories. They go to some mm-hmm. of the top visual art colleges in the country. So that success and that rigor is, is sort of a draw. But I also think that it comes down to students who feel like they find their people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we have heard this many times. It's because, you know, if you are totally interested in your area, not all the other students around you support that. And you right. may be the very top person too in your, in your field, in your school. But imagine, you know, you do know how to sight read music, but you come to ASFA and everybody knows how to sight read music. Right, right. right? You, you do love math <laughs> and science, but everybody's got that game, right? And so we think of it as an accelerator. Just, just the, maybe it's the true meaning of magnet, but, but we're bringing together mm-hmm high potential students, but being with your peers, it's like going up to the major league. Suddenly everyone around you can play at your level and you have to, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to play up, up. push yourself yeah. and meet that mm-hmm. challenge. And, and, and it's, it's the peers, right? It's mm-hmm. the peers who, who come up with ideas that you haven't come up with yet, who are just as interested. They're so strong in their field. And I'm honestly, you come in and seventh or eighth grade and you look ahead and you're like, wow, <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how, do, how do I become that 12th grader? <laughs> so, but there's, there's a process here where I think people are uplifted in their, in their interest. And, and it's not just that we, ha- we do have a renowned faculty, actually highly awarded faculty. In fact, just yesterday, I got the news that our, our director of student support, who was also an alumna, who is also the chair of the music department for 14 years, she has the number one top holiday hit on all the smooth jazz channels. Oh, well, there you go then. Yeah, hey. Her is, yeah, her <laughs> name is Kim Scott. So I could go through all these points of pride, yeah. which I think are really important, but, but you've got now the possibility of working with a mentor that, that looked at the world the way you did and mm-hmm. peers that are interested in what you're interested in. And we just hear students, alumni, and sometimes parents telling the story of a student saying, I found my people. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my place. And, you know, in Alabama, when you come to our school, you're giving up that football tradition at the local high school so that you have time in the afternoon for rehearsals and performances mm-hmm. and exhibits and studio time and things like that. This is not, you know, the typical high school experience. It really is a concentrated effort. So, but where you find that uplift is not in some of those traditional things. But, but in your peers' experience and in your experience of working with them and the faculty. So yeah. we've, I'm beginning to think of it as an accelerator 
mm-hmm. was trying to think, you know, what is it that just, I mean, it is, it goes beyond the curriculum in some way. Right. Right. And I think that a lot of our um, early college schools around the country think of themselves in that same vein. They would use that same term that they are accelerators. And so I do think that that's a term that would resonate with lots of folks. Right. You know, one of the things I always want to be really mindful of in this program is, you know, the, the purpose of it is to highlight really great case studies, those exemplars in transformative education that are out there in the world. You know, there's um, a lot of the intro um, on the program when we talk about this notion of school being broken. And, and I argue, well, it's not really broken. It's just obsolete as, as designed. And so but but. But that's not the case everywhere because we do have these exemplars all over the country and around the world of of transformative, very modern, very now, very relevant education that's happening. And the purpose of the program is to say, look, let's take a look at those exemplars um, and see if we can't figure out collectively how to ferret out the best things of those. And so that, you know, as communities are working on rethinking what education, uh, teaching, learning, and future work might look like, what are are some of the things that I could go out that that are happening right now? I can pull from and craft what is going to be meaningful for us. And so I always like to, when we have these conversations, as folks are sitting in a community that doesn't have, you know, an Alabama school of fine arts and and math and science, but they want to pull elements from what you're doing into their their local community. What are the, the two or three things that you think that your school does that other communities could do without having a specialty school? What what do you think is the primary takeaway around thinking about that transformative educational experience for a future individual who ultimately ends up college career workforce? Right. Well, if you don't have a school like ASFA available, I hope you have one in which you'll be able to go as far as you could go in your area of strength. And that means that it may be that schools need to be way more flexible mm-hmm. about requirements. You, absolutely, you're going you're gonna to get all the core things that you need to get, just like we have our morning of advanced high school degree. But you need the time and you need the, the uh, support to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that the very innovative things, the very different sort of classrooms, do look a lot like fine arts classrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, there was a discussion in regular, calling it regular, sorry, <laughs> in in schools. There was a conversation about the difference between a summative assessment and a formative assessment. Yeah. Well, not to be too geeky about it, but summative is tests and quizzes and memorization and content. And formative is about skills. Right. And fine arts is all about the skills and always has been. Long before that movement, those classrooms were not in a lecture format. They were right. not about... You know, yes, there's memorization in the theater. That's not what I'm talking about. But they were in, highly interactive. They they're were, applied. They're hands-on applied. Very applied. You have to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the, but there are also areas where you constantly face a problem that you must solve. Right, right. Right. You don't come into the classroom with an answer, and your teacher is probably not giving you that answer. They're leading you on the process of making solutions. Now, that's one thing. You asked for three. So the second thing is, (laughs) the big thing in math and science, especially in the younger grades, has been to talk about makers. 
Mm-hmm. And that whole movement was to talk really about applied math and science as it relates to creating a pipeline for robotics, for cyber, for, for, for that kind of maker to understand uh, you know, how things work and how you can make things. And this is where we get into 3D digital printers and we get mm-hmm. into uh, teams that are trying to learn how to uh, manage a drone and build a robot and all of these things. And it starts with the younger kids understanding maybe what's, what's inside of that machine, right? Well, the fine arts were always makers as well, mm-hmm. right? What is the difference between a robotics studio and a visual arts studio? You're going to be hard-pressed to explain that to someone from another planet, right? When you say, well, they both have supplies and they mm-hmm. both are a mess. And they're both- <laughs> Right. People are everywhere. There's stuff spread around. So so we were already project-based, right? Long before. And then nothing compares, really, with having to share your work with your family and with the public. So the performative aspect, Mm -hmm. this is my third thing, the performative aspect of putting together a visual arts exhibit, having an opening reception. Of, of you're not just, you didn't just write a short story and your poems, but you are now giving your senior reading and people are coming to the lecture hall to hear you give a poetry reading. Or uh, obviously concerts in music, productions mm-hmm. in theater, uh, productions in dance. Maybe seeing the choreography that you as a senior came up with uh, the younger students, where you don't typically have time for that student. But anyway, all of that is being a maker. And so this is another area where the synergy, it feels like the creation of the Alabama School of Fine Arts with its math and science uh, wing and specialty was sort of forward thinking in a way that wasn't even anticipated, right? Mm-hmm. Like that we were ahead, we're ahead on those things, but what's most valuable about them comes through in what I'm now beginning to focus on calling future-proof skills. Right. Because these are the skills you talked about curriculum being out of date or education mm-hmm. having been out of date. And uh, but these are the skills that are not going to be replaced by AI. Correct. Correct. Yes. We absolutely. can use AI, but <laughs> these are the what and it's so interesting because we have so many students who do go on to ballet companies or they go on to famous TV shows or or they write amazing novels that are so well known. I could name some of those, or they're working for NASA on the Mm -hmm. Mars project. We have a bunch of those. I won't try to run through all of them. But the idea is we also have students who come out of here and they decide to do something else. But what they never lose is all of those habits of mind that they've developed as a maker in a creative field that is assessed with an audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I could not have said that better. So, so completely aligns with the philosophy that we we, we have at past. So, mm. you know, I want to um, thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Mitchell, for spending time with us today for talking about, um, you know, the the synergies that happen in, inside um, your school and with all of those students. And um, I am so hopeful that our listeners are, were as enraptured as, as I. I was so oh, I, I want to I want to visit time. I want to see it. Uh, you know yeah. I've seen so many of these different programs around the world, and there are some true true standouts. And I love the way the Alabama School of Fine Arts 
thinks about itself and its role in the world. So bravo uh, for that. And thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time with you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.